Hey, if you've been tuning in over the last couple months, you've heard all about the GameTime app and how it can save you some serious cash on last-minute tickets to sports, concerts, all types of shows. I'm sitting right now in a hotel, and I noticed last night, I'm in Chicago, I look out my window, and there is the blinking lights of the Chicago Theater. On the billboard is an announcement for their next show, which is Wilco. And because I'm a 40-year-old dad, that's my favorite band. I think it's a, a requirement. And... What do I think about right away? I'm like, I'm like, seriously, like this is how this is this is this is how much game time has seeped into my consciousness. I'm like, I gotta check the app, see how much tickets are. Turns out the show is at the same time as the Avs Blackhawks game. I'm here to see. So sadly, I will not be attending it. But there were tickets available. It's an easy process. Two tap checkout. You've heard me talk about all that. But here's some really great news. Game time is looking to hook you up for the holidays with a ten dollar credit. Here's what to do. Download the GameTime app in the Google Play or App Store. Click on the My Tickets section of the app. Create an account. Then under the Billing section, redeem the code THEATHLETIC. Once again, that's THEATHLETIC, all one word, for $10 off your first purchase. That's free money, people. That's like, so the Wilco ticket I was looking at was 70 bucks. Now it's only 60 Credit is only available to the first 1,000 people who redeem co- the code, and it expires at the end of the year. That's December 31st, 2019, in case you're listening to this in like the year 2025. So make moves quick and score last-minute tickets. Hey, this is Craig, and welcome to this week's episode of The Full 60. This week's guest, I'm excited because we've been trying to arrange this for a long time. She is a world traveler with a jammed schedule. Uh, if you follow her on social media, you see like she is all over the place, speaking and engaging with people in the world. And I'm excited we were able to get the schedule to work out. It's Megan Chaika, who is the co-founder of Stathletes, an analytics firm, kind of a, a pioneer in the analytics firm world. And... She's also a data scientist in residence at the University of Toronto. She has, uh, you know, she's studied economics, finance. And what I was really excited about getting Megan on here for, we we definitely have a lot of shared interests. I would say we both have a very entrepreneur, oh, I I was going to try to say that word and I can't, entrepreneurial spirit. She could probably even say it. I can't. Um, and we, you know we're 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 into the startup world. I work for one. She's started a company from scratch um, that has now turned into one of the most successful hockey analytics companies in, in the world. And I love those kind of origin stories. And I was excited to talk to her just because I'm not sure I've ever heard kind of the early days of Stathletes. I, I know I've talked to her brother John Chaika, who is um, who of course is the GM of the Arizona Coyotes, but haven't really detailed how you know where did the money come from and what were those early days like. And I was excited to get into some of that with with Megan here. So let's jump right into it. Uh, my conversation on the full sixty with Megan Chaika. You are you're fascinating because uh, just based purely on on Twitter, it seems like you're everywhere all of the time. You must have that craziest schedule of anybody in the hockey world. I mean, I like to think I am the least important busy person, <laughs> um, and part of that is what makes me busy as well. I, I mean, I have a lot of people in you know influential positions that ask me to do things, whether it's like women in tech or talking on behalf of the government or 
in different types of programs, which, you know, all kind of drive our economy and in turn help staff leads. So there's a lot of tie-in, but at the same time, um, yeah, the, the time constraints of, you know, flying, whether it's in Europe or, or elsewhere, it, it gets pretty hectic. So when you're, so, when you're doing that, so is a lot of that kind of outside of the staff athletes world? I mean, I guess it's, it's related to it because you're yeah, it yeah, whatever, that, but. totally. And that's what, like, I always try to keep that focus and that tie in into what are the overall uh, bigger goals. And, you know, part of what I do on, you know, the business development side or whether it's marketing or recruiting, you know, you're always trying to build up a team. So selfishly, I'm always looking for great people, you know, really smart people, whether it's on the engineering side or tech or product, you know, product managers. Um, there's some tough roles to fill and, you know, every company struggles at, at different stages of growth. And I think what really uh, differentiates good and bad companies is like culture and, you know, who you bring in, because, you know, once you're past five, 10 people, it starts to be, you know, inherent in the people you hire. So you have to be pretty deliberate. So part of being out there and especially uh, as a woman too, I'm always trying to, you know, recruit on that side as well, looking for diversity and not just in, in women, but in, you know, all the different types of, of people that, you know, different backgrounds and, and ways of thinking and, you know, just trying to create a company that I'm proud of. So I feel like that is, uh, is challenging because you never know where those type of people are too. So right. just, uh, the more you can get out there and smart crowds, uh, the better chance you have, but yeah, tough of what to pick and choose to do as well. Right, right, for sure. So it, it's interesting because, well, how big is Athletes now? Like, how many employees would you, are you guys at at this point? Yeah, I mean, like for us, our our biggest time of year obviously is, is hockey season. So we get up to you know seventy, eighty, then we have uh, you know a research component. So you know, or yeah, eighty, ninety under management. Um, definitely a core group driving, you know, different types of elements, but right. big enough that, you know, yeah, you have to be pretty deliberate with, uh, with what you do and, and what you want out of your company. Um, so that's sort of part of the challenge of, you know, whether it's travel or talking or recruiting. What, so when you get to this and I'm, and maybe I'm interested in this cause we've experienced this at the athletic and you know, I, I don't know exactly how many employees we had when I joined, but now it's, it's this huge company and, and you do want to keep the culture that you had when you were small. Like it's funny, mm-hmm. you know, it's only been a few years or whatever it's been. And, and it's, I always, I already find myself like pining for the, the good old days at the athletic that was, you know, <laughs> didn't even exist a few years for ago. For sure. The core group, right? That's right. Yeah, and because can... that like, those are the people that you like. And so, so for, for you guys at Southleys, how did you, well, let's start with the culture. Like what, what, what is your culture? Like how did you, how do you identify that or define that? Well, I like to say that, you know, we take our work seriously, but don't take ourselves seriously in terms of, you know, being open and um, being interested in other people, being empathetic, um, you know, having a work environment where, you know, there is some freedom to to be innovative and to make mistakes and to fail, because I think that's really important in growth and doing new new things and new projects. Um, So trying to keep that openness where still you know, being kind to each other and being accepting of differences and being able to like, you know, have healthy discussions. And, you know, I mean, we even saw yesterday, like the, 
there was a huge problem with that uh, company away who uh, was actually female-led and a male, a CEO of Lululemon's taking over. But, you know, uh, when you get in very stressful environments like tech, there's there's a lot of, like, the easy way out sometimes is to have almost this very, um, you know, stressful, a lot of deadlines, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of overworking of people. Um, and once you, especially if you've gotten, like, so we haven't raised at all, so we can control the culture in that way in terms of growth and what we expect of the people. And that's kind of the good news of, you know, being on that side. But, you know, once you raise and you, you're, you know, taking other people's money and, and they expect a return or or a lot of growth, I mean, the deadlines and what you have to hit to to keep the lights on, you know, uh, like San Francisco is a whole other story of types of companies and you know what's coming out of of different types of you know environments that are are pretty toxic so i think we've strategically you know done a few made a few choices that maybe are a bit harder on management um but in turn we have a bit more control of what that looks like and mm-hmm. you know how we treat others and um, there's negatives and positives, but for us, for sure, I think we're able to, to be more engaged in, you know, what that culture is and kind of take the positives from sports, you know, like the teamwork and, um, you know, the shared wins and, you know, learning from our mistakes, all of, all of that, that you learn through, you know, competing and, and working with a wide variety of different people on different teams throughout your life. So, it's definitely a work in progress. I don't think there's any one person or company, right, that gets it right all the time. And there's all sorts of growth pains and, you know, you learn a lot. And I think, you know, we're going through it in, in every type of industry, right, that that learning of what does it mean to actually have, you know, diversity, inclusion type of principles. Um, you know, what does it mean to to be respectful, you know, of everyone, I think, there are best practices and ways to, you know, ensure that you're being proactive, but there's always going to be course corrections. So um, we just try to live it every day and, and be better and, and learn from others as you get feedback, right. From, from people that have been excluded in the past. I I mean, gosh, we're seeing it on a lot of levels right now in kind of the hockey world that we live in. And, and, but you're, I mean, right. I don't want to be too topical, but (laughs) I mean, geez, but like from your perspective and you you had a phrase in one of your presentations that I saw online that said, you know, opportunity does not, should not discriminate. Right. Like, and I liked that. That really like stuck with me. Right. Do you think what, what, from your perspective, do you think what is experience we're seeing in the hockey world kind of play out every day where there's a new story on some level, it's a healthy thing. I mean, not if you're going through it, but like, right. what do you, when you see this play out this way, what do you, what's going through your mind? Yeah, it's definitely tough. I mean, you know, in, in tech, cause I, I spend a lot of my time in that sort of world as well. Yeah. Um, there was a lot of, of shakeups, uh, you know, venture capital world went through a lot of big names that, you know, were, were billion dollar players, um, that had to step down or, uh, you know, a similar type of scenario, right? Where, and same with being a woman, right? I mean, I don't think anyone um, has not seen, you know, Me Too in Hollywood and in the corporate world. And, you know, there's been, like, this has been ongoing, I think, as a woman and then in tech for, for years now. Um, and I think it goes back to what I was talking about before is, 
you know, you're right. It's it's not a bad thing to to not only want respect but demand respect and have different channels to ensure there are processes in place to to make sure that you know it's it's a work environment that everyone's comfortable in and can succeed in, and you know people are treated with respect and fairly. Um, and it, it's been hard. It's yeah, been hard for sure um, figuring out exactly especially as you know smaller companies Mm -hmm. um with less resources right what's what's uh the best course of action but i think with you know all of this type of um knowledge that we can do better too and there are you know more programs more people talking about it talking about their experience um and i feel that frees others to to be candid about you know how they've been treated and you know, what, what should the workplace be like? Right. You said you've made some tough decisions as a company to, I guess, remain control on some of those decisions. So that would, to me, I I hear that. And I think, does that mean you didn't take seed money or invest investors? Right. Is that a strategic, like, was that, what, what went into that decision as, as an analytics company? I mean, there's always a trade-off, um, right in the, in tech and VC world of, of being, a like they'll ask you a lot, are you a marketing company or a product company? Cause a lot of times companies will raise, spend their money in marketing and sales and try to catch up on the other side. And yeah. it's a lot of smoke and mirrors. And we see that with like, we work you know, they weren't doing what they said they were doing. And, you know, I think there's some dissension in, in SF like San Francisco of, of people doing that because they're playing with other people's money and they're not really being upfront about what they're doing. And we see that in our space too, to be honest as well. You know, a lot of people will put money into saying how great they are instead of actually being great. Um, But uh, so it is tough sometimes. I think when you're, when you're more lean and uh, you know, cautious with how you spend money and, and what you put it into. Um, But our strategy has always been, you know, if we're product focused and we really um, are providing value, then, you know, we'll, we'll create the type of client base that, that has longevity yeah. um, instead of just, you know, trying to have some growth and exit in some sub type of way. And, and that's kind of the reality too, is a lot of uh, VCs aren't necessarily looking for long-term investment. You know, they, their portfolio, who knows what year they're in and of a 10 year, um, you know, turn and, you know, we're looking for three to five years for, for you to have pretty hefty growth rates. So it's, it's tough in sports and a, a bit more of a niche market. Um, so the interesting thing, and I'm not sure if I've ever had heard the Stathlete's origin stories. Like I see bits and pieces of it. But one of the things that I did read was that you guys, like the, the money came from business pitches, right? Like you went around, like what did that look like at the very beginning? Yeah, um, we were definitely more in the student phase at that point. I was in graduate school as well. And uh, just, I mean, there's a lot of different entrepreneurship, um, especially now. I mean, I think that, you know, once there was a market collapse in 2008, people kind of shifted, you know, the focus away from traditional like banking consulting and more into startups and taking a bit more risk to build this like new digital economy. Um, so that was a, a bit of the boom as we were, were graduating and, 
Um, yeah, I did other pitches actually before Stathletes as well. Like I had a, a healthy baby product company I was pitching just for fun and, you know, learned a lot. And I think, you know, people think that there's this magic bullet and you just come up with this idea and pitch it and it's great. And I think a lot of the entrepreneurs are the ones that have, you know, failed a lot and talked to a lot of VCs and, you know, thought about business models and gone through all of the different areas of, of startups that you really have to be quite dynamic in or, you know, early on, no, you're not and hire around it. Um, and, you know, we all sort of thrive in that. And I, especially, I, I do like the unknown. I like, I like the risk. I like working hard. Um, so I would be one of those crazy people that's a bit born to be an entrepreneur, to be honest, for better or for worse. Um, so it was just pretty natural to, to continue in that, that, uh, vein. I think it's, um, I don't want to say unnatural. I would say it's, it's, uh, uh, certainly uncomfortable when you say you like the unknown, it's taken me a long time to, to kind of embrace that. Because I, I think there's the, the, the known is so comfortable, right? And, and I think there's, but then you find out that you're not, you're not advancing. Like, was it, were you born that way? Do you feel, or was that something that was how you were raised? Is that, that, that comfort, comfortability in risk taking and, and working in the unknown? I think there's an element for sure of like privilege involved in, in being an entrepreneur. And you see typically, you know, upper middle class and wealthier people that are able to take those risks because they have a safety net. I mean, you know, it's not like we came from a ton of money or or didn't have to work, but I I don't want to, because I feel like sometimes people go on podcasts and are like, yeah, I, you know, I had nothing and I ate ramen noodles in here. And meanwhile, you know, their dad's running a bank or something (laughs) and it's, you know, not really the same risk profile. Sure. Um, So I don't want to, you know, give the illusion that, you know, anyone can just come out of the gate and be an entrepreneur and it'll be successful because a lot of businesses fail. And I mean, one, uh, you know, as if you get funding, if you have clients, like one of the biggest problems with failure is culture. So that's why it's kind of nice. We, we, uh, talked about that to start, but yeah, there, I think, you know, there's an element of having to have uh be a generalist to a certain extent mm-hmm. um being able to manage people being able to identify talent um especially to start and uh and then having that plan and and it is luck and timing i mean anyone who tells you that you know they're successful every venture is is lying to and and to be in it as long as we have been and, and doing as well as we have been, like we're, we're very fortunate and thankful every day. And we work very hard to maintain that too. And, and I think our clients know that. So, um, so I don't think there's, you know, if you want a nine to five job, it's, it's not anything near a startup. <laughs> That's for sure. I think like luck and timing is the, it's almost like the people don't they don't want to talk about that as part of a Stanley Cup winner, right? Like the puck that, that went in, <laughs> yeah. or, you know that hit the crossbar and didn't go in or whatever in Game Seven. Like luck and timing, in and we've seen it from our perspective at the Athletic. Like just it, there was like the timing was right for what we were trying to do. And I look at Stathletes, the timing was certainly right. Like you guys launched this business right when analytics are. And I'm sure that was also part of the thought process, right? Like it was a burgeoning. Thing. And I mean, yeah, maybe if it was, you know, we're launching a business now, it'd be completely different in sports. Like it, it could be in the same space because we're very passionate about it. And, you know, 
it's something that, you know, we love doing. So someday, a lot of days, it doesn't feel like work, but yeah. um, I would, I would be lying if, if there wasn't an element of right place, right time, um, you know, made, made some good money on, on student pitches as well. I mean, one of the biggest ones we won was in Kentucky and they didn't have a, uh, a arena within like two hours from where we were pitching. But a couple of judges loved football and was like, this would be great. And, you know, the NFL, like, we'll invest, you know. So that was our first, first big win. So that's awesome. Um, we took some energy from that. Yeah. So this this world you're speaking of, I have no familiarity. This world of like student <laughs> pitches is that I was a journalism student. I you know this we were just working at newspaper, answering phones in the sports department. So like what what does that look like? Is that you just come up with an idea and you're going to different schools, or what does that look like? I'm sure it's changed. Um, and I mean, this is like talking 10, 11 years ago now. So uh, it's probably even become more prevalent, to be honest, because there's so much government funding now going into tech. And, you know, data analytics is such a big, big market, expanding market now. Um, so, yeah, there's there's a lot of even government-funded uh, type areas in, in Ontario and across Canada. I'm speaking more Canada-specific, but, you know, we do go to – I was in a government program um, – that they actually had this year. It was the first year. I think they've had like six or seven cohorts. And this was the first year they had 10 uh, companies that had a, a woman founder mm-hmm. um, associated with the company. And so like we went to San Francisco twice and New York and Vancouver and, you know, learned about all, all different types of, you know, problems that you, you come up with at, at growth phases and, and uh, broke that down. So there's a lot of support. Um, and a lot of ways to get, you know, funding for hiring people, hiring great engineers, um, doing research. Um, so it's not just like one pitch and you're done. There's like all these channels and that's what, you know, to a certain extent now I'm, I'm involved in like different areas of it too, or, you know, I'm an advisor in certain areas that, you know, I saw something that I wish they would have done and I've been able to help out a bit, um, strategically. So, I like that element too, because, you know, looking back for sure, we were almost in the infancy of, of, of a bit of that startup buildup just because of the timing with the 2008, you know, recession and, and banking crisis. So that, um, yeah, that sort of started the more of the startup pivot, I think. Um, so I had the, a similar conversation with Pat Brisson on this pod and, and he, he talked about as a kid, like he would go to the, you know, door to door selling donuts and stuff. Like it was just in his blood to be he, right. like just buying something for 50 cents and selling it for 75 cents. Like, could you relate to that? Like, is that how you were as a kid? Oh, absolutely. Like we would pick <laughs> raspberries from my parents' backyard and there was like, um, uh, a, home for you know people over plus 65 right, and we'd right. go around door to door and they would just you know they had their re- retirement funds so they just loved our loved our raspberries and that was oh like us <laughs> or like for me too like i love fashion so i would always buy and sell luxury goods which is like a huge market now i mean there's like billion dollar valuations now on actually woman-led companies in uh in that space so um, that's something that I think, you know, a lot of women in fashion have dabbled with because, you know, there's an element of, uh, exclusivity. So the pricing gets, 
that's interesting. And, you know, coming from an economics background, I, I like pricing models. So, um, yeah, I would say I, we did a lot outside of, you know, just thinking, oh, I'm going to start this one company when I'm in my 20s. Right. Yeah, there's a trial and error. Like, So what was the Healthy Baby Company? I wanted to make baby bottles that didn't have any of the the plastics or, you know, carcinogens that, that they had, I don't know, 15 years ago now. Um, and I mean, the Honest Company, which was started by, I think, partly started by Jessica Alba, probably like three or four years after mine, which is now a billion-dollar company. So, I mean, you know, it's all in execution. <laughs> you know, good ideas are, are a dime a dozen, unfortunately, but... Um, there's definitely a lot of space, you know, whether it's being healthier, you know, clean water. I mean, there's a lot of social problems we can fix, I think, with entrepreneurship. Yeah. Not just doing another dating app or, like, who will walk your dog, you know. I think I wish the money was was directed a bit more to to solving, you know, issues, uh, systemic issues that we have and, and making society better. But we'll see. It's, like... The, the practicality of it is like, I, I the, the, there's some real problems that need to be solved, but there's not money in it. You know what I mean? Like, so right. I think about that a lot too, just completely aside from it. Like I sit there and go, boy, it would be great to use technology to solve this problem. But then I'm like, well, there's no, it, you would, it, there's, yeah. there's not the money there from the yeah, consumer. And you know, you're always looking at returns and you know, your market and for sure. I mean, you, you almost need like an NGO or a government to kick in part of it to do more like social entrepreneurship. But I think, um, I think there'll be some space in the future. You know, it's even just like the environmental type pushes that we have now too. I think, you know, society wants change, whether it's, you know, culturally or, or how we're consuming, you know, different things or like Johannesburg ran out of clean water, I think last summer, last year. Um, so, I mean, there's some major issues um, that are happening, right, that, you know, we're using and abusing our, our planet, too. So. so, so you guys get going with, with Stathletes. What Do you remember some of the first, like, projects you worked on? I mean, I know you can't talk about what you're doing now, but I would be interested. Was it, was it you know, player track? That's a good what, question. Some, yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think we were just identifying gaps. I mean, I was always really into um, the NBA, basketball, probably baseball is one of my, you know, bigger passions as a child. So um, I, I drew a lot from those sports and what I knew. And, you know, as I as I aged a bit too, I was, you know, on some panels or introduced people at the league and in the other leagues. So I knew quite well about, you know, their challenges and how they were, um, solving them and just trying to think if I could remove some of the constraints, whether it was like current technology or cost, like what could be imagined. Right. I, and that was sort of some of the starting points of, you know, purely on R and D or coming up with, you know, best practices. And, you know, like, like we're talking about, it's still a work in progress and, you know, definitely there's no one company in sports that I would say, has it all. I, I mean, there's trade-offs to every type of technology and what you do. And, you know, we try to be very candid and, you know, not spend money on marketing telling you what, <laughs> what, what the future is, but, yeah. you know, delivering that value um, based on, you know, data. So um, 
I don't think there was like one project per se that I could point to that was, because it was just such a, you know, it was such a process of just iterating, right? Making it better every yeah. time we we were looking at what we were doing or who we were trying to service. And, you know, even that scope has changed. Um, you know, we're worldwide. We do track in a lot of leagues. Uh, we have a lot of clients that buy data for different purposes. Um, so, you know, there's different, different problems and solutions for each of those markets in, in terms of, you know, what they're after. Right. Um, but I think getting better on getting more efficient, more accurate data is, is uh, you know, our a thousand mile march. How did you guys, how were you able to get an audience with NHL teams as a young company? It was a process for sure. Yeah. Um, you know, I think, as you know, the NHL is, you know, people are there because they've worked their lives to, to work in hockey and there's a lot of really smart people. So, you know, coming in from a different angle, I think, of, you know, data analytics, it was a bit new and fresh, especially at that time. Right. So I think, I think we had a, a good hook in, in that way. And, you know, even at school, like Dave Simpson, who's Craig Simpson and uh, Christine Simpson's uh, brother was one of the professors at Ivy that, you know, we were, we were practicing pitches with. Mm-hmm. So even through school, I mean, you're in Canada, you're in Southern Ontario, you know, you walk out the door and there's some ex NHL or somewhere, you know, <laughs> right. someone who has the glory days. So, um, it's not too hard once you're, you know, in front of people to, you know, I think people like, especially in sports, right. You want to be the best, you want to be competitive. So if you have something unique, people will listen to you. And I think that's the nice thing about the industry, um, is that, there are definitely some open-minded, very progressive people. Um, so we just kind of went from contact to contact. And, and I, I think the trick is not to overstep either or to overpromise. So mm-hmm. it was a building process of, you know, who we pitched to, how we got feedback and, and just grew, um, grew from that every time. Yeah. I, I, you read, you wrote a paper, I think in 2012, the swinging for the fences paper and, Okay. And in it, you, you that's, talked that's about, been a while. <laughs> yeah, I'm going way back, but like you reminded me that like there was a, there was a few, a couple lines in there about, you know, not, not revealing yourself to the general public until you really have, you know, a product that could be scrutinized. Right. Like, I think there's a balance, like right. you want to, you want to say, Hey, look, everybody, what we're doing, we want to get in the front, in the door here. But you, with that comes a level of scrutiny, I would imagine. That's a balance. And I think too, I think too, as a B2B company. So, I mean, there's a lot of like billion dollar companies that people just don't know about, right? right? Because they, they sell to, to corporations and they know who their clients are and who they're trying to, um, make happy essentially. And I think once you try to bite off too much, I mean, when you're talking about doing major marketing campaigns, it's like now you have to, you know, hire full teams and hire PR and, you know, it really drains your resources that could be spent in, in a lot of other way better ways, like on product and actually right. doing what you want to do as a company. So I think there's an element of distraction um, that, you know, companies at a small size startups, you know, they want to kind of be everyone, be the man, you know, you see a lot of, they call them like 
you know, programmers, Brotopia and in San Francisco. And, you know, they get their kind of egos in the way of how they want to position themselves and who they're really building their company for. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, we've tried to avoid that. I mean, it's tough in sports because as you know, people are very interested. And if you don't give them a story, they make a story up. <laughs> um, so right. that's, that's always been a bit of a challenge, but um, I think it just helps with cash flow, to be honest, to, to be just like streamlined, focused, and very good at what, what you actually want to accomplish. Right. So like, yeah, you guys, and I think most analytics companies are like this. Like, you, I guess there really isn't a huge benefit for you to be very forward-facing, right? As long as the teams are convinced you're doing a good job, then that's that's all that matters, I guess. Yeah, and and I mean to us, like the people that you know are really vetting our work. I mean, you know, I I, I do some work at the University of Toronto. Uh, we have you know Waterloo, we have Brock, who you know Kyle Dubis and Andrew Tinnish came from there. I mean, we have a lot of good people around us that are at the forefront of research that you know. I, I'm not a yes person. I actually like a fight and I like people to tell me I'm wrong. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I'm very upfront with if there's anything that's off or overselling or doesn't make sense. Uh, I want, you know, the smartest people and the best people on the research side to be very candid. Um, and, and that's how I feel like, you know, as a company, you, you know, you're on the right track. Because I think publicly the issue is, is whether it's Twitter or elsewhere, you're getting a sample of the population, you know, and they have a variety of different backgrounds. And typically, I mean, I had one professor um, who was really great and did all sorts of really cool diplomatic work. And and my favorite, favorite comment from him was, you know, during this course, he started off the course with, you know, I... I know what I'm going to tell you 50% is right and 50% is wrong. Mm. And, and I, I can't tell you what's what that's up for you to decide because I don't even know. Right. And I, and I feel like that's a bit of economics, right? You, you know, you make models, you get, you get things wrong, essentially assumptions wrong. The market moves in, in different ways. We wouldn't have had the crash in 2008 if economists were right. And, you know, we've waved a lot of flags or, you know, financial experts hadn't invested in what they did. Yeah. Um, so, you know, there's an element where, uh, you know, innovation, um, you know, and testing out different technologies, new technologies is not going to be perfect. Um, so it, it's tough to know how to be public facing with that either, because you're not really getting that feedback loop from, from people on the research side that are actually in the, in the trenches, right. Doing that work. Right. But, but even at the same, like, I, like I think that's the right attitude to have, especially in a technology. Like, I think hockey analytics is something we've seen continue to evolve, and and what's valuable and what's not valuable. And I know there's stuff that's being done that we, I, you know, we don't know certainly on the inside. But but I think that mentality, like, is is right. Like, we we don't know. You know, maybe it's not fifty fifty, but we st- certainly don't know everything. <laughs> But that, like, that seems like a tough right. pitch to a team. Like, hey, we're going to present you with a bunch of stuff, um, but we don't know which of it's <laughs> right or, or even useful or what. Well, I mean, I'm talking about the technology. No, I know. I know. I'm, like, twisting like it towards hockey analytics. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's gray in, in anything um, when, you're, when you're making assumptions, right, or, or building models. Um, there's always imperfect information. Uh, and as we know, 
at the end of the day, the game has to be played, right? It, it hasn't been solved by a, by a, or predicted by an equation. So that's <laughs> the best part of working in sports. You know, you're going to be wrong sometimes. Yeah. Everyone gets fired at some point. Um, but yeah. that goes back to my unknowns that I like. So Do I don't you, mind it. How have you guys, how has what you've, I guess, either been asked to track or what you have analyzed as a company evolved, even in the short time of your existence? Definitely always evolving. I, um, you know, obviously we all always try to do the, the best work we can um, in terms of who our real focus is and, and how we want to scale. Um, and that just comes from our strategy and, and you know, how we want to grow as a company. Um, I wouldn't say that the type of data that we're looking at has changed dramatically. I mean, it's, it's still hockey. And I think that, you know, the public in a lot of ways does great job with, you know, different types of modeling and, and there's a lot of cool stuff that's out there. Um, and that, you know, is incorporated on a game by game basis. And like, I enjoy Twitter, you know, I, I, I don't, I um, probably make some media people mad, but I, I don't watch, you know, broadcasts typically mm-hmm. like I'd rather just watch a stream and, and, you know, have some Twitter commentary and, you know, look at different types of models. Um, I know everyone's not like me either. The general fan probably isn't. Um, but I think the game is going more that way. Entertainment's going more that way. Um, you know, we're just on our phones more. We're on second screens. Um, we're engaging with, with content differently. Uh, so I don't see it as much as the data changing. I see it's like the type of, of client or what we'll be doing with data in the future is shifting. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, so along those lines, I, I did see that you guys, so I, I think there's this assumption that a company like yours um, is, is hired by a team and you're providing them insight, but you, you know, you guys also serve agents, you serve players. And I was, I'm especially interested in the player side of it. Cause I think, I ended up going down this path with a story that ended up never running because somebody asked me to pull the plug on it, but it was a player who was really, Oh no. <laughs> yeah. I, okay. I don't know if I talked to you before. This was a couple of years ago and the player was really into analytics and getting all these reports. And then I forget why they didn't, they, I don't know. It's a long story, but I, I, I think I, I'm interested in that aspect of just how interested individual players are in this data and how, uh, how, how many of those people are your clients? Like, how common is that? I think the generation that's, you know, coming through the June, like junior league, um, more of the, the Gen Z, I guess. Yeah. Is that what it One is? One below millennials. <laughs> yeah, I think so. I think, you know, just in general, they're used to just consuming such, you know, fast, informative, you know, they're used to Apple. They're used to all like smartphones. They're used mm-hmm. to, all of this type of aggregation of what they should be, you know, what the weather is like. Like, I mean, we're, we hired a couple of engineers and, and the one fellow in, in first year, he made an app to pull the information from, from uh, his weather app. And it actually wakes him up and tells him what to wear that day and turns on his toaster and does all this stuff. So, I mean, you know, I, I have a lot of space in, in, you know, the ability and um, the drive and motivation in, in younger younger students that I just think what they're doing is 
amazing and technology is becoming more accessible and cheaper and more open source so a lot of people can work with it, um, kind of removing a bit of barriers in terms of, you know, who can who can learn what. It's not that expensive. You can, you know, self-teach in some ways. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think that we're just seeing a lot of a lot of pull from that generation, not even like push from us onto like, you should buy us. It's, I mean, it's, it's inbound at this point, which is great. Um, but we also don't want to miss a market either. Right. And figure out what's best and, and what that looks like. Um, but I think, you know, they're used to getting a lot of information and, and they want that in their own game and their own career. Um, and they're they're They can take that initiative as well. And I think that'll be interesting for the NHL, right? Because as they grow into, to these players and they, you know, start demanding, well, this is what I was doing in junior. This is what my agent was giving me. And, uh, and I just think that, you know, kind of opens up the, the floodgates of, you know, new and innovative ways to, to use analytics in hockey. Like, and some, some like side way, this is all like related to, you know, we are talking about kind of the culture change in hockey, like the young player now, like he's he's has his own skills coach he's getting his own analytics so when a coach is telling him to you know be a part of this team and maybe i guess sacrifice some of that there's going to be a pushback and you know what i mean like they want they want to control the information and what they do right yeah i think there's going to be um obviously a sweet spot right where where people can hopefully work together and yeah you know at, at, you know you want to win and play as a team and that's really important but I think when you have, you know, players that are vying for contracts that want to stay in the league, uh, there's different motivations. And and I think that's always going to be a challenge. And it has been in the past, too. They, they've just had, you know, more imperfect understanding of, of how to get where they want to go. Um, so I think data is kind of a game changer in empowering people to understand where they're at and, and what they need to do both, you know, individually and, and team-wise for success. We talk about physical fitness a lot. I mean, I mean, I don't necessarily. We, I would say the royal we there. But there's another side of the game that's just as important, and I'm talking about mental fitness. Calm, the number one app for sleep and meditation, has teamed up with LeBron James to help train your mind. LeBron and Calm know that your mind is like any other muscle in your body, and Calm can help you train your brain so you sleep better, have less stress, and perform at your best. LeBron has said, getting good sleep and finding time to rest is one of the most valuable things I can do for my body and mind. And I couldn't agree more. I am militant about getting my sleep. And like, if I don't, I'm an absolute wreck. The next day, I can't perform uh, at my job even at like 50% if I don't get enough sleep. And so an app like Calm is absolutely invaluable. So for a limited time, our listeners can join LeBron and using Calm with a 40% discount to an annual membership at calm.com slash full 60 unlock content to help you focus ease stress and sleep better. So get started at calm.com slash full 60 to get your 40% off an annual membership. That's calm.com slash full 60. Um, do you see, I think now where it's being pushed to the playoffs, the, all, all the player tracking that's coming. Where do you see that impact right. the most from your perspective as a company? I mean, I like, uh, I'm so pro technology in, in terms of, to me, data is great. 
any sort of tech is great. Um, I'm optimistic about the future. Um, I mean, I, I worked at the Olympics. They had, uh, the IHF had player puck tracking. It was like branded Omega because, of course, it's some sort of Swiss company with a lot of money. Right. Um, usually a watch company. Um, so I had to see some of the insights into that. Um, it's different than, than what we, we do in a lot of ways. Uh, you know, XYZ coordinates are, they can translate, um, you know, where they are and where the puck is. Um, but there's some, there's more constraints than I think are probably generally known. Um, so it's, you know, I'm very aware of that space. And I mean, wise hockey is very big too, um, out of Finland. So, you know, I, I definitely, uh, I definitely think that anything that can be more accurate when you're talking about speed or, or other types of measurements is really cool too. And might help with like performance and training as well. So, I'm I'm really excited in general about you know just tech moving forward. Yeah. Um, all right, wrapping up, and this is I, I already bugged you on the book question for my book project, so I forgot what you said. The best book <laughs> you in your did. Class. You did. What was that? What, what did you say? I forget. There's too many of them. It was shoe dog. Oh, that's right. And and I, I said the same thing as another a fellow out in Seattle. So I I think you asked him yeah. too. I think you're the only two people. Yeah. So I messaged him and yeah. Do you know Sai? He's, he's great. really he's he was, a smart uh, guy. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's awesome. That book was I, so I'd already read that. So that so that um, I was mad because as I've said, this is this was just a, a um, way for me to build out my reading list selfishly. And so okay. that so yeah, you you had said one I already read, but it was good. What, like, what did you what, what did you find? Because I you know, there's here's a guy that started his own company, and did you find some some connection to? To, to Nike and what they did and and some level what you're doing? Yeah, I definitely think that, you know, there's a lot of shared experiences in startups. And I feel like that's the nice thing about reading other people's journeys and, and realizing how many setbacks or, you know, various, uh, various things you have to overcome. And like you were talking about luck and timing. I mean, yeah. there's an element of that and being even just persistent, you know, it's like, no doesn't mean no, it, you know, means not yet. Or, you know, if you really believe, like there's some ideas that I, I, you know, even like woman talkie, let's say I pitched that like eight years ago and people were just like, no, 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 no. Like literally I probably got 50 no's. Finally at the Olympics, I was like, Hey, the men are going like from the NHL. Let's just do something interesting. Right. Mm. And they were like, okay, sounds good. This this looks different, whatever, you know, like it's, you have something here. And then they said, but what about the men? And I was like, you must be the first person who ever said, but what about the men? <laughs> and I love it. I love that, that my 50 no's came to that. Uh-huh. It was all worth it. Um, so I think, you know, there's an element of grit and, and, um, you know, I see that even in my students, sometimes or students that I work with is, they really take notes personally. Um, and there, there's so many constraints on companies or, you know, in, in different reasons that, you know, various projects don't work out. So I think that grit and being able to dust stuff off and, and strategize about how to be better. And to be honest, I think as a woman, you have to be 10 times as good as a male mm-hmm. um, and even more persistent and, you know, smart about how you approach things and, you know, I, I don't want to alienate people either. So right. there's an element of 
you know, being a woman in, in this type of environment is how to operate best that, you know, gets the results that everyone wants. Uh, you know, you want win-win. Um, so coming up with, you know, what that looks like, I think that's how you get clients long-term, not just giving stuff away for free or for cheap or, you know, kind of the, the uh, you know, in vogue texting to do. Um, I try to, I try to look at the, the long-term perspective of, of what's best for the market too, because, you know, if I ever leave hockey or, or what I, you know, I want to leave it in a better place or I, I want to, you know, improve what's going on, not just make some money and, you know, take my, take my tech elsewhere. Yeah. Along those lines, you talk about that grit and that persistence. You've, you've in the past have used Tom Brady as, as an example, which I, you know, which I, which I like, I, and I, I don't know if I'd seen the scouting report you used in that one presentation, or maybe you used it in a few presentations, um, that, you know, that right. Tom and, but with, what I like got a kick out of you're like, yeah, here's what he said. And then he told the Patriots it was their best decision. So, you know, we need to have that kind of confidence. I'm like, I would love, where do I get that confidence? That's what I, I need. That's <laughs> Like, yeah, I think that was probably my biggest laugh once in Toronto is, you know, that even Phil Kessel is a two-time Stanley Cup champion. And I mean, you know, they were so down on him when he was uh, he was in, in, in town and funny now that he's in Arizona. But it's true, like, there's an element of, you know, being on the right team and, you know, that grit and sticking with it and believing in yourself and, you know, like, success comes in a lot of forms and in different stages in life and uh you know having that resilience um to figure out what success means for you because you know you have to be happy too and i think whether it's sports or hockey or or tech you know it's very demanding on your time and effort and i think you know to prevent burnout or just not be a terrible person (laughs) you need some sort of you know, way to cope and, and make sure that you're, you're taking care of yourself and those around you. Right. So I think, you know, there's been a lot of research and study on that because you know, that's a huge issue. And it was with companies, scaling companies. We know, like, we know what was said about Tom Brady or Phil Kessel's all been very public. Like what for you personally, <laughs> what, like, what's the hardest thing you've had to overcome or kind of plow through in your path? I think, I think not taking uh, failure personally, um, and, I, and I am pretty type A, and I, I, you know, was more of a perfectionist, so I think being okay with that, not everything works out, and, and learning from what didn't work out and being better, Yeah. Um, because I, I, I think being a bit older now, I do see, like, a lot of what I've done culminating to, into other wins. Um, and I think that's hard to see when you're younger or if you just really, really want a job or really want to work in hockey. Um, I think there's a lot of ways to get different, to different places in life. And I think, you know, with consistent effort and, and, you know, some element of having some doors open, I think, you know, there's a, there's a lot more that people could do to realize their dreams. Um, so yeah, I think for me, it was just, realizing that you know failure are our learning experiences and uh and not always are wins good if you know you're um going against your own morality or values right yeah and you mentioned the 
the different jobs and all that. Yeah, I mean, your brother, John, of course, is the GM of the Arizona Coyotes. You once I saw the hockey news story, you said, I don't want to be the GM. I want to own the team, which <laughs> I love. Is that still your goal? It was a little bold. <laughs> a little, I but mean, hey. I, I, get, I, I get that like that often about, you know, wanting to work in hockey or, or that sort of, you know, a desirable outcome. And I, I just, I really like what I'm doing now in yeah. terms of like, I get to lead teams. I get to hire who I want. Um, I love tech. I love working with engineers. Um, I, I, I like dabbling in marketing. I have a finance degree as well, so right. I can, I can do a lot on the startup side. So it's really hard to think beyond like everyone's like the first woman GM and it's like beyond a title. I think to be in that role, you, you have to be very passionate and very prepared to have success in my opinion. Right. And, um, and I, I just, I just think people miss the journey when they make those type of goals too. Mm. Uh, Cause I do have a lot of students come to me and say, I'm going to be, you know, the next GM at 25, 26, whatever. Yeah. And I think you just sort of wish away the stages of your life that are really formative. Um, so I think, you know, to me, that's a tip to students, but also to myself, right. To really enjoy where you're at and, and learn from it and develop as a person. And I think, you know, to me, not to say bigger, uh, bigger, but just there's, there's different opportunities that I have. I mean, I've, even with the Canadian government, I've been speaking, um, you know, and for the Canadian consulate and, and different, uh, like trade missions. I was just in Lithuania for, the first women's conference that they had there. Um, so I got to speak to a large group and, and uh, was in Germany and, you know, we work internationally too. So it's great exposure for me to understand culturally even like how to grow and scale and, and, you know, be smart about, you know, entering those markets. And uh, so I have a lot. And then I'm a data scientist in residence too at the university of Toronto. So, um, I, I do a lot on the, the data side too. Um, so I would say even thinking of another role or moving on right now is not even in my headspace. I'm just really enjoying, you know, what I'm doing and, and the diversity of different types of roles that I'm able to culminate in, in making a better company. I think it's hard, uh, and maybe it's just how I'm wired to, to, have that mentality of enjoying the moment. Like I am a, I am a very much a what's next person to a, to a fault. Right. Like it's a, it's a character flaw. Like that I've, my wife and I talk about, like, I'm like, all right, I get ants. I think you know it's I mean? to the North American culture too. Yeah. Honestly, maybe. I think it's our, our mindset of, you know, this sort of American dream of, you know, the biggest house and the car and everything and commercialism. Right. It's, sort of inbuilt into like the next purchase and the next <laughs> right. uh, instead of just really thinking about, you know, what makes us happy and, and really enjoying what we're doing. And I mean, yeah, the athletics has been doing great. I, I, you know, I've been obviously watching both your co-founders since you started and, you know, there's different spaces in sports, but for sports media, for sure, they, you know, a unique way to disrupt a market that was otherwise, you know, fragmented. Right. It's funny looking, not to make this about us, but looking back, it just seems so, um, it's like, oh, of course you would do this. But at the time it was like, well, who's going to pay for it? But now I'm like, yes, it's, that's exactly what we should have done. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. It seemed like it was, it was just so ripe for it. Anyways. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. 
Um, well, Megan, thanks a lot for doing this. I know you've got a million things. You've probably got a flight to catch or something. So I appreciate you finding <laughs> time for this. This was a lot of fun. No problem. Thanks for having me. All right. I want to thank Megan for joining the podcast. That was a fun conversation. Always good to catch up with Megan, who I occasionally see at different conferences or Sloan or wherever it is. Um, it's always fun to catch up with Megan. Also, I want to point out that we had another episode of The Full 60 earlier this week. If you missed it, Corey Pradman joined. Once a month, we're going to do what we're calling the Prospect Series, where we're alternating between um, the Athletics 2 Prospects writers, Corey Pradman and Scott Wheeler, just to get us caught up on, on some of the things going on in that world. And we're about to get you know, we're about to hit world junior time. And then all of a sudden the draft is going to be here before you know it. And so Corey and I had a great chat in Plymouth while the United States national team development program group practiced right in front of us. Uh, it was a fun conversation. So definitely check that out if, if you didn't catch it earlier this week. And before we wrap up, I just want to say a, a quick thank you to everybody who gave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever it is you listen to, especially to Nick, who, and then a bunch of numbers after his name on here. Uh, Nick left a five-star review on December 14th that says, every episode I've heard so far has a great and unique perspective on the current hockey world. He's able to get his guests to open up and be real with a very comfortable vibe, quickly becoming one of my favorite hockey pods to have in the mix. So thanks, Nick. I really appreciate that. I, that helps a ton in getting the feedback and also making sure that the uh, the podcast gets listened to. So thanks again, Nick, for that. Thank you to everybody who has left a review. And thank you for listening. Have a great week. <laughs>